one who's going to provide for you. But because you didn't have faith, everybody that trusted that report is going to die out in the wilderness. And ultimately, only Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that said, yeah, it's, it's an incredible land and the people are big, but God's going, to, God's going to deliver them into our hands. They're the only two of the adults that go into the promised land ultimately. Nation comes out for 40 years. They're just kind of hanging out, waiting for people to die, wandering in the wilderness. And, um, and as we come into the book of Joshua, they're ready to move into the land. Joshua's now in charge. Moses has died. And, and um, Joshua, uh, Joshua, instead of sending 12 spies, sends two spies into the land. He says to them, go check it out. Um, find out what's going on. Be, uh, be sure to be, uh, especially look at Jericho. And these two spies go into the land and they come to the city of Jericho. It's a walled city, a fortified city. And they come into the, into the city and they stop at the house of a prostitute. Now, these are the people of God, right? Doesn't that just beg an incredible question? Why are the spies going to the house of a prostitute on their, on their, on their journey, their, um, their task to go seek out the land? I, I think that there are probably some really good reasons why they went there. Not the ones that you would think immediately. I, we, f- we find out from the text that this prostitute who's named Rahab, her house is in the city wall. It's built into the wall. And, and by coming into the city gates and going to that house that's right there at the city wall, it could provide the means to a quick escape if they d- get discovered. We ultimately find out that that actually is what happens. So, th- so there's some level of safety in terms of being able to escape. I think if you go to the house of a prostitute, one of the benefits that you're going to experience there is that there's going to be lots of gossip. Prostitutes going to know what's going on in town. Lots of relationships with lots of people, lots of people yakking. There's, there's going to be conversations about what the, what the readiness is of the city, how people are thinking and feeling. Rahab's going to know that. I also think that it probably made sense because that was probably a place that the spies thought they could come in undercover and um, and escape the oversight of people around. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the no-tell motel kind of a deal, get in where nobody will notice theoretically what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Except we all kind of know that what happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas, right? There's always implications, always get found out. And what happens is the spies come into Jericho and they go to Rahab's house. And there are guys in town that go to the king and say, there are spies from Israel that have come in to check this place out. So the king sends people to Rahab's house and says, where's the spies? Give over the spies. Cough them up. And Rahab, Rahab lies, which is kind of interesting Rahab doesn't tell, doesn't tell the truth. She said, yeah, the spies were here, but I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know who they were. And right before, right before um, the city gates closed at the end of the day, they went out and they took off. I think if you, go, uh, if you go pursue them right now, you can probably catch them. You'll discover them. You'll find out what's going on. And all the while, Rahab had already taken these two guys and hidden them on her roof. Her house is built into the city wall, flat roof up on top, got stuff up there. Rahab had, had snuck these guys up there, put them under sheaves of flax so that they were hidden away. 
Because Rahab, a prostitute, is probably going to be pretty adept at hiding people when necessary, right? Subterfuge. So she has these guys hidden up there. The, the guys from the king come. She talks to them. She lies. Uh, yeah, was it God's will that Rahab would lie to those guys? You know, I don't know because I know that God loves the truth. But I do know that it was God's will that Rahab would protect the spies, right? And she did what she knew best. She, she did what she knew to do. She wasn't a follower of God at this point. She was a foreigner. She wasn't Jewish. So she hides these guys. She lies to the king. And she has this conversation with these spies. And she says, you know what? Here's the deal. Everybody in Jericho is really afraid of you. I believe that, the, that your God is the living God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of time. We heard the story that 40 years ago, you guys left Egypt and you walked through the Red Sea on dry land. That's scary stuff. We heard the story in the last couple of years that you, that the nation of Israel has come and defeated these two kings named Sihon and Og, just wiped them out in battle. And everybody here is scared to death. Rahab says, we recognize that you're going to probably come in and take us down. And here's the deal. I'll protect you if you protect me. If you can guarantee my safety when you come in, I'll guarantee your safety right now. If you take care of me and my parents, my mom and my dad, my brothers and my sisters, my nieces and nephews, their households, if you do that, I'll take care of you. And the spies say, you know what? That's a deal. As long as you don't turn us in, when we come in, we will take care of you. Just got to make sure that everybody stays in your house when we come in. Stay in your house. If you get outside of your house, the deal's off. But stay in that house, and your house is going to be marked by a red rope that hangs out the window. And Rahab says, okay, it's a deal. That's the setting. You know, it's, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? That you think God would choose to use a prostitute as a part of his grand plan for the nation of Israel. If you've got your Bibles, turn to, uh, to Joshua 2, and let's read it. In the words from Scripture, I just kind of painted you the overview. Now, uh, hopefully, you've got in your mind some faces and places and names, and it'll, it'll start to come together. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. That's a town you don't want to be from, right? Um, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly and you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, mother, brother, sisters, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the spy said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you don't tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood will be on our head. And if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The story of Rahab is an incredible story because God chooses to use someone that we would think is a disposable person, right? Somebody with no value at all. Somebody with a history and a past that's incredible. You would think that God could never use someone like that. There are three things that I think jump out from the story for us today that I want us to take the story of Rahab and kind of take ourselves and put us into that story and see what God has to say for us today. The first is this. Your past doesn't have to define you. Your past doesn't have to define you. Think about that for a second. How is it that you've been known in your life. It may be the way that you think about yourself. It may be maybe something that your parents said to you when you're young or a teacher or a coach. Maybe what your friends have said. How is it that they have defined you? Um, Rahab 
Rahab's known in Scripture, she's actually mentioned three times in the New Testament. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. But each time she's mentioned, she's mentioned as Rahab the harlot. It's like her name. Her first name is Rahab. Her last name is harlot, the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. That's her reference point. That's what Scripture, that's how Scripture um, defines her. Some commentators say, oh, it doesn't really mean that she was a prostitute. It really means that she was an innkeeper. That's why the spies went there. The word in the Hebrew and the word in the Greek, both of those words mean she was a prostitute. Okay? It doesn't ever describe an innkeeper with that, with that word. She was a hooker. All right? Um, Rahab, that's what Rahab was known as. That's what she was defined as. And yet God uses her and changes things. What, it, what is it that you're known for? What is it that you're characterized by? Is it Jim, the liar? Bill, the stupid? John with the temper? Tim that's a drunk? Are you known as being promiscuous or worthless as a loser? Are you known as being shy? How is it that you're defined? Is it maybe that you're known as the bald guy, the guy who's always been bald, the guy from Ohio? What is it that defines you? Your past doesn't have to define you because God can take that past and have a purpose for you out of that. There's a, a gal from North Point who's, who's uh, been coming for a number of months that she actually moved away, moved to Grand Haven. But just, I just really kind of learned her story this week. Her name's Stacy Collins. Uh, Stacy, when she was young, was abandoned by her parents, ended up in the foster care system. She ended up staying with multiple families. And, uh, you know, you've heard this story. It's just way too common. She was abused multiple times. Um, physically, sexually, as a kid, um, as she came into her adult years, she said, you know, I responded to that in all kinds of different ways. I lived as a homosexual for a number of years. Was a, that was a path that I chose. She said, I was addicted to everything to try and fill the void that was inside me. She said, I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to prescription drugs. I was addicted to gambling. Whatever there was an addiction for, I had. That's my story. She said, she said my, I, I tried to fill that void and I couldn't. And I was just overwhelmed with the hopelessness of that. And multiple times I tried to kill myself. I tried to take my life. She said, finally after the last time, that I woke up in an emergency room and I was still here, I ultimately said to my counselor a week or so later, I said, I've tried everything else. The only place I have to turn is to God. And the counselor led her to a church that believed in the Bible, that believed that Jesus had died for, that believed that our past doesn't have to define who we are. And Stacy came into a relationship with Jesus and everything changed. Uh, she, she said that she had a lot of stuff before. She doesn't have much stuff now. But, um, but she said her perspective on life has changed because of what God has done inside her. Two, two things that she told me that, that I wrote down that were incredibly cool. She said this, my worst day with Jesus 
is far better than my best day without him. Isn't that cool? My worst day with Jesus is far better than my best day without him. She sent a text last night that, that, said, that said this. I just want to share it. She said, I couldn't be who I am without Jesus. Please make sure they know that he is my reason for life. I'm just honored that he calls me daughter. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what it's been like, but understand that you're not defined by your past. You're not defined by what other people think of you. You're not defined by what you've done in the past. God has the ability through Jesus to change everything. Um, God doesn't just use Rahab. He doesn't just use her to protect the spies. God ultimately places Rahab because of her faith, a foreigner, a prostitute. Because of her faith, God puts her in the Hall of Fame in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's, there's a listing of all the heroes of the faith. It's kind of like this historical view of, of, of what's happened throughout time as God interacts um, with his people. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11 and, and just look at this because Rahab's faith is so vital to this story. Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their, con- their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, By faith Abel offered up a sacrifice. By faith Abraham left everything and went to, went to a new place followed by God. By faith Sarah believed that she'd have a baby even though she was really old. By faith Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses You get down to about verse 29, it says, By faith the nation of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And in verse 31, in this hall of fame, the heroes of the faith, it says this, By faith Rahab the prostitute didn't perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By faith Rahab the prostitute finds herself in the Hall of Fame because she exercised her belief that God was who he said he was, that the God of Israel was the true God. We we all have reasons for the stuff that's in our past, right? We all kind of make excuses for those things. We say, you know what? I was abused. I did drugs. I stole. I went to jail. I got a divorce. I had bad parents. I grew up poor. I grew up rich. We, we all have stuff that we say, you know what? I'm defined that way because of all this stuff that happens to me. One of the things that I didn't talk about last week about Joshua that I think is relevant in this is sometimes we have an excuse that we say, and it doesn't matter what age we are, that we say, I'm old. I'm too old for God to use. It's a crazy thing to think that Joshua was 80 years old when he assumes leadership of the nation of Israel. Lots of people I've talked to 
you know, having worked in the church for a long time, there's, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people have said, you know what, I've done my time in church. I've taught the little kids. I did vacation Bible. I did all that. I'm past that. I've done my share. If anyone had the right to say that, it was Joshua, right? The first 40 years, I'll take that as an amen, all right? Uh, uh, The first 40 years of his life, the first 40 years of his life, he was a slave because he was a child of God, because he was a part of the promise. 40 years he's a slave. The next 40 years, he's the second in command to Moses. Lead in this huge nation of people through the wilderness. If anyone had a reason to say, I've done my time, I'm checking out, it was Joshua. And yet at 80, he takes over leadership of the nation because he's not defined by his past. God has something else in store for him. What is it that's going on in your head, in your heart, that you think, "Ah, I don't know that God can use me because of blank? Look at Rahab, a prostitute that God used, and rethink that. Second second, uh, principle that I just want to share is this. From the story of Rahab, your life has the ability to impact future generations. Your life has the ability to impact future generations. Think about that. The choices that you make to serve God or not serve God. The choices that you make to tell the truth or not tell the truth. The choices that you make to stand for what's right or not uh, um, impacts your children, your children's children, even to the third and fourth generation. Matthew chapter 1 um, is, is where Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament again, Matthew 1 and actually Luke 3, where it provides the lineage of Jesus. It talks about from Abraham all the way down to Jesus, who's in there. And um, if, if you're in Matthew 1, let me just read this real quick. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, father of Jacob. Jacob, father of Judah. Judah, father of per- Perez, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king, King David, next to Jesus, probably the most pivotal person in scripture in terms of God's kingdom. His great, great grandmother was a hooker. The choices that Rahab made ultimately impacted generations beyond her. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I don't know if you know the story of Ruth and Boaz. I'm not going to go into that whole story right now. But I wonder, you can read it. You can take it home and read it. Read the book of Ruth. I wonder if Boaz's kindness to Ruth was the result of recognizing that God had protected Rahab and brought her into the Jewish nation as the wife of Salmon, his mother, and that grace was extended because of that. The choices that you make can impact generations from now. The last, last principle, it's this. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. The story of Rahab is a story that says faith demands 
action. We live in a culture where we say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I've got faith. But we don't always exercise it, right? God prompts us. And sometimes we say, yeah, I hear that. I'm not doing it. Faith demands action. James chapter 2 talks about that. We're going to get there in just a second. uh, James says, faith, if it's real, it has to be put into practice. It has to be put in action. Faith without works is dead. We want to have faith and have that be enough. About a hundred years ago, a a guy named uh, Wilbur Reese wrote what I think describes kind of our culture and sometimes our lives too accurately. He wrote these words, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a foreigner or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That describes us too much. We're a little bit of God, but not enough to make us uncomfortable, not enough to make us make the turn in our turning points. Was Rahab the only person in Jericho that believed that the God of Israel was the God of heaven and earth? I don't think so. They were scared to death of the Israelites. They had seen and heard about the hand of God on them. But Rahab was the one who put her faith into action. I I don't know why. I don't know why, but my picture of Rahab, of a prostitute, is was that she was probably alienated from her family. You know, you choose that line of work. You don't have a lot of close friends except people who are in that industry. And yet Rahab, we discover, still has a, 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 a tremendous love for her mom and dad, brothers and sisters, her nieces and nephews. She makes the deal and says, hey, don't just save me. But because of what I'm doing, I want you to spare my mom and dad, my brothers, my sisters, everybody in their household. And the spies say yes. Um, That the uh, her faith gets put into action. And as a result of that, the rest of her family is rescued from destruction. Think about that for a second. The impact of our faith in action, how, how that spreads out, how the ripples spread from us into our families and friends. Too many times we're like the people of Jericho instead of like Rahab. We believe, but it never translates into action. We're too afraid. We're too ashamed or too uncertain, or we just simply don't believe God. If you go back to Joshua 2, the last two verses kind of bring the story back together. The two spies returned to Joshua. They came down from the hills and passed over, came to Joshua, son of Nun. They told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, because of our interaction with Rahab, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. All the inhabitants of the land melt away. Because of us. 
Let me just finish with a question. If your past doesn't define you, and your life has the ability to impact future generations, and God is the God of heavens and earth, God of the universe, what's He calling you to do? How is He calling you to put your faith into action? I don't know what the answer to that is, but that's the message from Rahab. If God can take, if God can take a prostitute, someone with a past so messed up, and use her to save the nation of Israel, use her in the line of Jesus, God can do anything. But our faith has got to be put into action. What is it that God is, how is God calling you to do that? Let's pray. God, we, we ask, we invite right now your Holy Spirit to come in and to answer that question for us. Lord, we ask that you would... Um, take away the cloudiness in our ears and that we would hear clearly what it is that you call us to do, that you would show us just one step at a time and that we would obey like Rahab. God, I thank you so much that the story of Rahab is a story that tells us none of us are too far gone. It doesn't matter what's happened in our past or who we are or the choices that we've made, that you want to save us and redeem us and change the lives that we live. God, I thank you that, that, you're, that you're a God who's not limited by anything. And So when we think about that, when we think about a relationship with you, it impacts what happens now, but in the future as well. God, show us where you want us to obey. Show us how, we want to, how you want us to put our faith into action. Help us to hear and to respond, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.